Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dow Pickles and I'm from a company called B-Squared and I am the host of the Sendcast, the podcast for special educational needs. Each week on the Sendcast, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, we're talking about using multi-sensory teaching across different subjects and areas. Our guest is Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie teaches a range of students in a post-16 environment. She uses multi-sensory teaching strategies to cover complex topics to help students learn. But before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual SEM Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. This is a conference we run twice a year over the internet, but you can watch videos whenever you need to as they are always available. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. This week's show is on multi-sensory teaching strategies that work well for students with special educational needs and disability. Our guest is Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie is the Curriculum Manager at the Sixth Form College in Farnborough. She's passionate about discovering how children learn and support them in ways which enable them to succeed. She has provided training to PGCE students at King's University and a number of local schools and colleges on teaching strategies. She also delivers talks on multiple sensory techniques around the world. Welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you very much, Dale, for inviting me today. You're welcome. So multi-sensory strategies are great for supporting people with dyslexia and a range of other types of SEND. Multi-sensory strategies sound amazing, but also sound a bit complicated. It's actually often quite simple. It might just take an outside-of-the-box approach. So let's start with a simple question. What is multi-sensory teaching? Multi-sensory teaching is what it says on the tin. Using the five senses, the senses of seeing, hearing, touch, taste and smell. So, for example, for seeing, you might be making a diagram or a poster um, for hearing, you might listen to an audio book. You might actually clap the keywords for the heart using Michael Jackson's Beat It. For touch, you might make, be making the model of something, for example, the model of the cell. For taste, um, you might be using strawberry shoelaces to plot a graph, or also you could use popcorn for um, synthesis, for protein synthesis in the cell. Um, for smell, you could also add aromatherapy oils to Play-Doh and then stick those on the diagram. And you could assign those smells to that particular part of, for example, in the brain. You might use cloves for the cortex or mint for the medulla. So I suppose it's not about doing all of those in one go. It's just maybe just when you're doing this to make it more engaging, choose something that stimulates a sense Yes. for that child. So it makes it more engaging and helps them maybe be more engaged which hopefully improves those outcomes it does and it's a bit like um teaching in an onion in layers so if you find the core curriculum that you're starting with it could be the heart you might start with a diagram they might not be able to do the diagram so therefore at the start i might play michael jackson's beat it and clap those keywords to the diagram and then we might make a model of the heart out of Play-Doh on a whiteboard and then label all the different parts of the heart using a ball pen. Um, we might also play the weakest link, for example, and I'll ask questions and they write the answers on a flip board. And then I'll say, 
which is the largest artery in the heart? And then I give them a second and they write it down and they flip them over and we can check the spelling and their understanding, which is really good. That's great. I like that. I've not played the weakest link for years. It's basically you're aiming just, it's about engagement, isn't it? That's yes. the biggest thing. Yeah, it's engaging the students and finding a way that they learn and students learn in so many different ways. And it's trying to get into their brain and find out how they learn um, and then be able to unlock that information so that they can understand it and then remember it really, really well for their exam. So I suppose when you think multi-sensory, I think you immediately sort of think to early years, don't you? Because he's doing a lot of play-based. So there's a lot of sensories. But, and then as you kind of go up through school, the other senses disappear. We don't think of smell. We don't think unless you're in science and you are actually using chemicals and stuff. Generally, you don't really use those senses. You're listening, you're reading, and that's about it. So this is about that actually some of those, that learning you're doing in early years, following some of those approaches all the way through keeps that, learning really engaging and you don't you don't you use it with um students at college mm. so this isn't this isn't just a, a primary thing this actually covers all the way through doesn't it yes and i think um my students i started in a level biology and we did a lot of multi-sensory teaching there in a level biology we used to make the cell out of plasticine years ago and um if we were teaching about diffusion, I would line the students up in the classroom and spray a can one end and see how long it took for that smell to go to the other end of the room. And it was in about 2010 that we started having exams in health and social care that I also teach. And um, the students came in one day and said, Susie, I can't do this. I don't do science. And they had to pass an anatomy exam. And I thought, what on earth am I going to do? They've got to pass this exam to pass a qualification and they can't access the curriculum. And it was at that point, then um, we had an open evening and one of the girls, um, she drew this giant heart. And for open evening, she actually stood there and painted the heart. It was the size of a tablecloth. And that was the first thing I ever made in health and social care. And what the students did was they we took the heart and we put it on the floor and they'd walk through it. And they'd say, here's the vena cava. The vena cava, vena cava means large cave. And that's where the deoxygenated blood comes from the body. And that's in the right-hand side of the heart. And then they walk through the heart and you can see there's the right atrium. And the atrium is the biggest room in the Roman house. And so I would give them these hooks as they're walking through the heart. So I'd go through the atrium and then I'll say to them, you try before you buy in Sainsbury's. So the valve here is the tricuspid valve, okay? So the blood goes from the atrium through the tricuspid valve into the right, right ventricle. And then it goes from the right ventricle up the pulmonary artery. And that's T-shaped, so they could actually see the shape of that artery. And whatever diagram they had, they could imagine and visualise what that artery would look like. And then the blood goes up to the lungs where it's oxygenated. And then it comes back down into the heart through the pulmonary veins into the left atrium. And because you try before you buy, the valve it goes through is the bicuspid valve, then into the left ventricle, and then up through the largest artery in the body, the aorta, 
and out. And that's how they remembered it, by walking through. And when I worked at the oratory, the boys couldn't remember it either. And uh, one Saturday morning, I had uh, Max and he couldn't remember it at all. And we put this great big heart mat down on the floor. And he said, this six foot rugby player played for London Irish. And I said, hey, Max, will you do this? I thought, no way is he going to do this. And he goes, OK, miss. So we walked through the heart and he went through. And as he went through the different parts, he then put down these cards that were colour coded blue for deoxygenated and red for oxygenated. And as he walked through, he started to remember it. And then he said, can I do it again, miss? And I said, yeah, if you like. So we did it again. We did it five times. And by the end of that lesson that, that morning, he knew it. And he said, I'm going to go back to the boarding house, miss. And I'm going to tell all the boys in the boarding house, miss, how you remember the heart. And I'm going to teach them all. And that was absolutely fantastic because he knew it, but he was also sharing his knowledge and reinforcing that knowledge um, that I taught him that morning. So I suppose when you think of multi-century, I started off thinking it's about engagement. It's about um, they're not that interested in a topic, so you've got to make it more interesting. But actually, when you think about things like that and dyslexia, it's that visualising, going, I don't understand the hawks, I can't see it. I can't, I don't understand it, so I can't visualize it. And so by having that mat on the ground and walking through them, it, it, as now they can visualize it, they've actually got something. When you're labeling it, they're going, it's there. And then it goes in, rather than just looking at, but not quite getting it. So it's, it's not when children don't understand things, it's not about they're not, in, it's, especially stuff like dyslexia, is they can't get the concept. And turning it into a visual something that they can walk through or even feel or something like that just helps them visualise it and lock that in their brain much easier. Yeah, I, I realised it was all about visualisation. A boy came up to me late one night. Um, towards the exams, we used to meet the boys, four or five of them, um, in the evening at seven o'clock after they'd had their supper. And a boy came up to me and he said, Moose, I said, what's the matter? He says, I don't get reproduction. I thought, oh, my goodness, a lady on her own upstairs in curriculum support. And, he, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what is it? And he says, it's the hormones, miss. And I went, oh, OK, that's lucky. Great. So I got this giant piece of A1 paper that was all squares and I um, drew out the series of hormones as they, they went through the menstrual cycle. And in my bottom drawing curriculum support, I had strawberry shoelaces and also raspberry shoelaces. And um, I said to him, well, this is how it goes. You sort of get these pointy bits of the curves and then you get these sort of rounded curves. Follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone are the pointed bits in the middle. And estrogen progesterone is sort of more rounded. And um, you can see these two together. So we got the strawberry shoelaces out. We sort of follow the curve around for each one. And then um, he goes, I've got it, miss. I said, have you? He goes, yeah, I can see it up there, miss. It's up there. I can see it. I can visualise it. And I thought, that's it. If they can visualise it in their brain, they can remember it. And that is the work of... Charlotte Mason, 50 years ago when I went to primary school, was about um, not visualising, verbalising, but it was about 
observance and narrating. And so as a child, 50 years ago, we used to look at oil paintings. And um, we will be given something like, I don't know, the Haywain or something like that. And, and the headmistress would say, what's in the foreground? What's in the background? What are the colours? Um, what do you think are in the fields and things like that? And um, we used to describe that to her. We would narrate back what we had seen in the picture. And I thought, what on earth are we doing this for? Um, and then as we went through all the different subjects at primary school, I would then work out that if you could see it, you can remember it. And it was this narrating that was really important because you unraveled all the things that were wrong in your brain about the subject. Now, move on, 35 years ago, 34, 35 years ago, fast forward in America, there's Pat Lindemood and Nancy Bell. And they're now talking about visualising and verbalising. So they get children to read by visualising um, what they're reading in the book and then verbalising about it. So what Charlotte Mason was doing 50 years ago, they're now doing, and it's multinational, Linda Bell, and they're teaching children to read all over the world. And when I discovered that with science, I thought, I've got to make that picture in their brain. How am I going to get them to remember it? And once they have remembered it, it's also unravelling the information that's wrong in there and rebuilding those connections to ensure that they understand. And it's not about learning, it's about understanding. I think when you think of um, people who do those memory tricks, so yeah. they can memorise the order of a deck of cards, they turn it into a story. They're turning it into something that visually that happens. So this, the, the king went and asked, and they're just going through that in their head. And they're basically they're retelling a story they've just made up, and that's how they can remember it. For me, lots of people struggle with their registration plates. I always turn it into a phrase. Yeah. Always. Or I look at it, and um, uh, my mother-in-law's number plate, the last three letters were HGZ. I remember that as Hagendaz. Mm. And that is locked in my head. That car was sold wow. years upon years ago. Because I've got Hagendaz in my head when I see those three letters, it just helped me see it. And like my wife's current one, I have a phrase. A whole number plate is a phrase to me. So you can literally say it. And I go, what's your number plate? And I go, oh, yeah. And as soon as I start saying it, the rest appears. Mm. So as long as I really remember that first bit, once I say that, almost like the rest just pops up and you say you see it. You do, you do. And we were coming back from a wedding with some friends and we were all chemists and uh, there was someone cut up my friend, he was driving, and someone cut up my friend in front uh, around a roundabout and he said, oh, take the number plate, take the number plate. And I said, okay. So I remembered the first two letters of the number plate, which was, for example, RS. Another other chemist remembered the, the middle numbers of the number plate and then Jackie remembered KCM, which is potassium cyanide. And <laughs> it made us laugh because that's what chemists do. You know, they remember things as compounds and elements and they find that quite fascinating. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a similar yeah. story with with your number plates it too. Is, it's, it's you relate to things. Yeah. Um, and I have, a, I have a, almost the opposite thing with memory. Mm. If I hear music, it will give me a visual. Yeah. So I can literally, in some ways the same way, I, I hear a song and it will give me a visual, a time in my life that I will remember. Mm. It might be, uh, I can literally, if I put a certain album on, it will take me back to when I was 16 painting my room. Mm. 
Mm. Things like that. It's just it's, it's that, the visual is a huge concept. So when I suppose when it goes back to just being in class and you're sitting there and you've got stuff on the board, you might have on the whiteboard. That's what I love about whiteboards is rather than having a textbook of a heart, you can have a nice big oh, yeah. animation yeah. of that heart moving. But for some children, that's still not enough because that's up yeah, there and they can't. Yeah, yeah. So that visual. But also you do a lot of stuff with um, like Play-Doh and stuff. You're actually mm -hmm. making things. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way of actually making something. So you do, is it layers of leaves and things? Yeah, you can do the leaf. You can do the leaf out of um, Play-Doh if you want to. I've actually made the whole different cells of the leaf out of pottery and they can then sequence them in the right order. Um, we've made the heart out of Play-Doh. Every organ system we've made out of Play-Doh. Um, so it really, really works. And linking it to music, um, one of my girls went from 24% up to about 50% because she used music. And she went onto YouTube and she learned the circulatory song. She learned the digestive song. And at the end of the year at college, while I was signing her form off, she said, I said to her, um, Natalie, how did you actually do that? How did you get your marks up so much and she said Susie I learned all the songs and she turned them all on and she sang them all to me and she said by remembering the songs and I had those words you know I remembered in my brain and then they were familiar to me and also from when we were in class Michael Jackson's beat it um da -da -da -na 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 -na, Fina Kava and she would remember that the lesson because as they were listening to the music, they relaxed. And as they relaxed, they took on the information. And as you, they went into the exam, years ago, the managers would walk up and down the aisle, we can't do it anymore. But you would see them there tapping their leg, remembering the music as they were doing the exam. You know, you get the heart and they were singing away in their brain. Michael Jackson's beat it. We had um, one on equality and diversity on one of the exams. And the first question was always, how would the service user feel if they were discriminated against? And we used to use JLS. Everybody in love, put your hands up. And we would go around the room and we would go sad, lonely, upset, low self-worth, low self-esteem. I'd be walking up those aisles. And I'm not joking, the ham was on the leg and they were tapping it and they were writing the words with their hand. It was absolutely amazing. Um, so when we have to do that exam again, that's what we're going to do because it works. It works for my students. And a lot of my students, particularly at college in health and social care, a lot of them are quite low ability and will be dyslexic as well. And these sort of strategies really, really help them. Yeah, because I've was um, i done a previous podcast with Wendy Lee mm -hmm. um, and we talked about phonology. Yes. And which I didn't really, I thought phonology was just a different way of saying phonics. It's a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a word and, and nursery rhymes, it gives you the rhythms of how to say things. So when you read a word, it's one thing, but saying it gives you that rhythm and putting it to music as well gives you, helps you that rhythm. And the rhythm then helps you remember it. That's right. So my daughter in year seven and my other daughter, I think it was in year four or five at the time, um, there is on YouTube, there's the pie song. So she learnt pi to over 20 decimal places in two weeks just by this song. And she's like, she, someone said, oh, who knows pi? And she's like, oh, I do. She's like, what? How many she went 20? And like, no, you don't. And she just used the song. Really? 3.14156. And she was off. And she just kept going. And, she, and it was 
phenomenal that it's just this one song and she wanted to learn it and it was a rhythm she was learning. So in some ways it's like rote learning. Sometimes mm-hmm. we rote learning, you're not actually, like when you're doing counting, you all count together, you're not actually learning what that means. You're just learning the pattern. So sometimes you're, when you learn that, you're learning it, but the more you learn it and the more you use it, it can get more powerful. Oh, yeah. So there is a bit of that rote learning. Is like, yeah. But as you said, how do you feel? If you can recollect those phrases, those words, it really helps. I taught a boy at the oratory uh, chemistry. He couldn't do chemistry at all. And um, he was always fiddling. He would come in, he was bashing the table. I said, are you a drummer or something? So I used to give him five minutes to have a quick old bash around on the table quickly. I said, give, give a quick rumba or something like that to start with just to get him relaxed. And um, I can't do chemistry. I'm really rubbish at it. I said, no, you're not rubbish at chemistry. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to listen to Tom's periodic table song. He went, oh, okay, miss. So he listened to it. And then he goes, but there's another one. And I said, is there? Yeah, there's one that goes to the can-can. And he sat there and he went, and he sang the whole of the periodic table song to me. Every Saturday morning, the boy would come in, he'd have a quick tap on the desk. We would play the periodic table song. And then I'd say, come on then, let's go and do a question. And this is boron. And where's boron in the periodic table? I'll go, and then he'll work it out. And we have the periodic table in front. And then he did really well at chemistry. You know, he started to do well and he started to do much better in his tests. And he said, my teacher's really surprised that I can pass my tests now. And I said, great. That's absolutely brilliant. And it was all about the song, the same as your daughter. I think it is. um, Is that, again, so... When you walk through the heart, you're really understanding it. And some of the stuff with the periodic table, I know you're a scientist, don't take any offence to what I say. No, 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 that's fine. To me, I don't get it. I don't really care. So it's not fast. So if I have to learn it, I will learn it in a way I don't understand it. I've just got to learn it. So stuff like that song, you kind of learn it. Then I think as he starts to use it more, it will then slowly build. And in in theory, the song becomes the aid to help him learn it. And as he, he does, yeah. and then he, 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 as he starts to use it, it then starts making sense. And that song will slowly disappear because he doesn't need it anymore because it's now made sense in his head. So it's just that visual aid to get them there. Yeah, and if the boys don't get the song, then I've got a shower curtain, a periodic <laughs> table shower curtain that goes on the floor. And I say to the boys, where are the alkali metals? I don't know, miss. I said, well, these chemicals react with water to produce alkaline solutions. Is it the left or is it the right? And so we go through left and right, you know, and they work out where they are. And then they walk down those um, alkaline metals, lithium, sodium, potassium, rubidium, cesium, fancium. And as you walk down, what do you notice about the atomic number and the atomic mass? And they say, well, it's getting larger, miss. I said, yeah, great. Then if it's getting bigger, are there more or less shells? And, and so they're visualising that. They're walking through it. So they've got the alkali metals, the alkaline earth metals. Where's the halogens? And then I said, give me an example of a halogen. And, and then they, they'll give them an example and group seven and they walk down the halogens and the noble gases. And then they get it. They get it because they've walked through it. They've sung it. We haven't clapped it yet, but... Um, <laughs> They really, really get it, um, and that's really good, you know. And But sometimes that's not enough. 
So therefore, I made this model of um, electron shells out of pottery. I used to go to pottery. The lady next door used to um, have a, a kiln uh, next door to me in Oxfordshire. I used to go every week and um, I made the nucleus and we used to put in marbles. And so the boys would then tell me how many protons, how many neutrons. And then I made uh, shells out of pottery too. And then the boys would put two, eight, eight, etc., onto those shells that they can remember how many electrons. And then we'd blast them with the exam questions. And so they could remember it because they'd seen it, walked through it, and then actually moved those marbles themselves. And it's really interesting as they start putting those marbles in the correct places, they then remember it. It's, it's a really important thing because lots of people can't look at a map and picture it. Mm -hmm. Others can. Mm. So just looking at a map, some people cannot look at a map and understand what it's telling them, but someone else can literally sit there and go, oh, yeah. And they can literally recreate their journey on the map. So I turned right there and did that, did that. And they'll do it and they'll go, that's where we went. And the other mm. person just looking at you really blank. And it's, it's, it's that visual connection. Mm. It's being able to sit there and recreate, follow things in your head. So when you drove that road, you literally, you're sick of it. You almost did that story. Yeah. We drove down there. We went, pardon me, the house. Remember the house on the left of the pub? Mm. Yes, yes. So that man fell over, yes. And you literally do all this story. And it would help the other person remember it as well. Well, someone gave me some directions to their house two weeks ago. And I found this before. There's two types of people. There's either... Someone that knows all the road names, they say go down the 331 and then the 325 and all that sort of thing to get to somewhere in Farnborough. And you're thinking, oh, I know what 331 is. Um, which way is it, the 325? Do you know what I mean? Which yes. one is the 325? And I, I'm really not very good at that. But this lady said to me, um, go around the roundabout, Rushmore Borough Council's on the left, go along the road, you'll see the B&Q or whatever. And she gave me all these landmarks. And I said, I know where you're going. Yeah. Um, and I got to her house really easily because she told me, you know, all the different places on the way. And I said, you know, years ago, we used to just do it by pubs, didn't we? Because there were so many pubs in the, in, in the uh, you know, in the town. But now we, we use different landmarks. And that's true. And and I think in teaching, you've got to give those students the journey as well. And and something in particular um, that they find hard in, in, in biology is an action potential, how a nerve fires, for example. And I teach it as a trip to Chessington and, and the gates opening and the channels opening in the, in the um, nerve, etc. And they really get it. Um, as a trip because it's so complex and and all the different rides and what you go on and what that means when you're firing the nerve and they they really really understand that and I think some of the concepts if you do do it as a journey it's much much easier and then they can visualize it um, the male reproductive system I remember doing that one as a list as a journey going down starting with the testis and that's the tank and then you go up the vast deferens and that's the van and then you go to the BP garage or something. There you buy some popcorn, that's a prostate gland and, and things like that. And so uh, I was doing this question with a girl one day and I said, come on, let's table the diagram. And she goes, I said, you know, that's a testis, that's the vast deferens. No, Susie, I can't do it like that. I said, what are you going on about? She says, I need the story. You've got to do the story. I can't label the diagram without the story. And it was absolutely fascinating that that's the way she learned. 
she had to learn that diagram with a story. So X and Y graph, X and Y axis on a graph. Yeah. I always got told you have to walk down the corridor before you can go up the stairs. Yes. That's really good. X, Y. So it's just that simple thing. Well, I didn't get it at the beginning. That just going back to that. Never eat shredded wheat. All those simple sayings you do for like the compass and stuff. Yes, yes, yes. You, you give it a silly phrase. You give it a, something just to get that concept in your mind. Once you've got them in the order, you'll then learn, you then use them, and you kind of you don't need it anymore, but it's always there in your head. And that's what you then use to pass that on to other people. You do. I'd, and in, in science, there's a lot of examples like that, kingdom, phylum, class, order, genus, species. When you, when you have to remember certain things that are really complex and uh, the students will come up with something that was really rude um, <laughs> and they'd remember it really, really well. But uh, the one they remember that wasn't rude was king, prawn, courage, and often fishy and greatly stink. So kingdom, farm, class, order, genus, etc., like that. And so they could remember that from the mnemonic, which was really good, or Mr. Grenz and Mrs. Nergs for looking about life processes, things like that. So I'm going to test you, slightly different knowledge. No, oh no. Every green bus drives fast. I don't know that one. What was that one? You're a musician. Oh, right. Uh, every good boy deserves favour was mine. But that's probably because... <laughs> I'm a lot older than you. E G B D F. Yes. It was yeah, face and yeah. every green bus drives fast. Yeah, I think I think my son was every green bus drives fast. Every good boy deserves favour. I mean, you know, uh, another ten years. And once you get it in your head, you you get it. But when you're sitting there for the first time looking at musical scale going, there's four gaps and five lines. Yeah. And that means what? <laughs> yeah. And it's you do this and it but it helps you all the way along. All the way, these little silly things that you've learned, mm. clutch, brake, accelerators, just ABC backwards. Yeah. You just learn it. It's just little, you just sit there and you be that backwards or you do this. And you, everything you generally learn, you, you, if, it's go, if you're not quite sure, you find a way. Or, so we've talked obviously a lot about science. Yeah, that's we, can your, do other, we can do other subjects. So yeah. come on then, give me history. History, really nice. Um, so, again, we were talking about songs um, and, you know, there is a song about all the Henry VIII's wives and things, isn't there, I think? Or they have a certain order, Henry VIII's wives, and also all the different kings and queens of Britain, there's a song about that too. You could actually role-play, for example, the Battle of Hastings, okay? Um, I've got puppets in my classroom, we've got 30, so sometimes the, the teachers will borrow the puppets or they act out, they actually get dressed up at college into different, you know, outfits and, and they reenact something from World War II or something like that. So act out. I know Bambi from Oka Books actually discovered with her daughter that she couldn't remember the Battle of Hastings, so she got Playmobil men and she got uh, Sophie to actually use these Playmobil men to then act out the Battle of Hastings, and her marks went up massively by actually role-playing it and acting it out, which is really good. You can also do a storyboard, um, and, and I would say no more than seven things. The psychologists say don't use more than seven things to me. So link in in the storyboard the sequence of events, and then they can remember it, which is really good. Yeah. Um, something 
that I sent through to the artist was uh, came back yesterday was to use pipe cleaners to make little stick men and then the students could use the little stick men to act out the Battle of Hastings there um, to say what happened. All I know is Harold got shot in the eye and there was a tapestry. That's right. The That's my knowledge. So yeah. I, mean, I can only get to two things, not seven. Oh, <laughs> oh there you go. Yeah. I know when it was. Yes. And that's about it. That's about yeah. It. I didn't do it. I didn't have the Playmobil. I didn't have any of that. It's not fair. No. Oh. <laughs> well, you could make, uh, you know, Play-Doh models or plasticine models of little people or something like that if you wanted to. So that's, that's history. And, yeah, I suppose the history is lot dressing up is a good one because although it's silly, it's easy to remember. It is. And you remember your silliness. friend being Harold or whatever, you know, and you yeah. remember the silly things that they do. I know, I mean, in psychology, they do about case studies and there's one with a train and apparently um, my son said that the teacher put on a recording of, of a train noise and then fell on the floor and he said, I always remember that one, Mum. He he remembers that study because he remembers the teacher just sort of suddenly falling on the floor. He said, oh, yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. It is. It's, 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 there's connections in your brain, something different, mm. something fun. Mm. So you do a lot of stuff with sweets, don't you? Yeah, I always do. Always engage a learner. I do. Yeah, well, it's always good to get food out, isn't it? I think, you know, years ago before Kosh, we, um, I used to use donuts for um, protein synthesis where you will get a codon and an anticodon, and that's a code, three letters, A, A, TG or something like that. And then you had to find the corresponding anticodon. And um, I give them a card with the three letters in A U sorry, A A T G, for example. And then they had to go away and find a cup with a donut in with a corresponding anticodon. So that then they would work out which letters went with which letters. And then their reward was to eat the donut. Um, so they enjoyed that. And for sweets, again, my, my brother said to me, can you teach my children how to write stories? And I went, OK. He says, you've got an hour between Staines and East Grinstead to teach them how to read to write stories. And so I got a packet of random sweets and I gave them a packet each. And I said, take out a sweet and I've got a key ring of connectives. I'm going to give you a connective and you've got to put it into your story. So we got the key of connectives. One sunny day, and Ingrid would say, Dad had a barrel of beer. And then um, I would say from the connectives after that, and I said, what's the next word in your bag of sweets? Um, Oscar would say, he ate an ice cream. And then between them, between Staines and East Grinstead, we made this story out of random sweets. And then we went backwards and then put in the layers. He made a barrel, he drank, a, he drank beer. What did the beer smell like? What did it taste like? What colour was it? And so then they put on all this, these layers of information about that story. And by the time we got to East Grinstead, they could write a story. And I gave them each a key ring of connective so that they could then write their stories for school. That's quite good. One thing I always hate about um, writing on paper and you're trying to write a story as a child is you might write that simple story and it's quite hard to then expand on it in paper. On a computer, mm. you can always just insert a sentence. It's nice and easy. 
Um, and you can sit there. But I always find with paper when I was a child, it's always you'd write a story and then you go, that's not very good. And you have to rewrite the whole thing. I always hated that. But well, I think sometimes is you have to have a story to sit there, to almost visualise that. Yeah, you do. And you're visualising. So he had a beer. So okay, so how did it taste? Why was he drinking the beer? And you're literally, you're almost visualising yeah. the dad drinking the beer. And it, yeah. then it, it sort of helps form. But, but if you start with nothing, it's hard. But if you can have that sort of basic story to build upon, mm. they can start visualising it. They can add in other details. Well, who was he with? Mm. And they can see it. Yeah, that's what it was all about. Um, when my son was about seven, they said he wasn't very good at English. And I made this key ring of connectors for him so that he didn't keep writing in his stories. And then, and then, and then. So we would take, every time he wrote, and then, we would then find a connective and change it. That was the first stage. And then one evening, um, he came home, he said, Mum, I've got to write this story about the forest. And the teacher knows I'm rubbish at English. So can you help me? And I went, yeah, okay. So we lived in a village which was surrounded by woods. And I said, you know when you go in the woods, what can you see? What do you smell? How, how does it feel? Um, what's that noise under your feet? Um, do you remember going in the forest with the dog? You know, um, what did she do? Um, what, you know, did you remember seeing any fungi in there? What colour were the trees? Did they have any leaves on them? And we sat there and we had a discussion. So he visualised what the woods or forest was like and then he verbalised. He talked to me about it and we sort of unravelled what he knew about that, the forest, about the woods, etc. And we wrote this mind map down and sort of the key phrases that he was talking about and, and sort of brainstormed the ideas of, of what, what he had to say. And then we brainstormed, then we mind mapped. So that was two stages. We mind mapped and segregated those things into different sections that he could talk about. And then I said, now you've got to write it. Boys hate writing, don't they? Yeah. Boys really hate writing. So I think the next stage he sort of um, spoke into his iPod he had then spoken to his iPod, he did the story on his iPod and sort of unravelled what he wanted to say and the sequence of things he wanted to say. And then I had to give him the line paper. I said, you've got to write it down, you know, you've got to write a page for tomorrow for the teacher. He only ever wrote four lines, you know, he wouldn't write too much at all. Uh, rather go out and dig worms and, and all that sort of thing, go out on his bike. So I said, come on, let's sit down. So he sat there and he started writing and he looked at his mind map and he started writing. He wrote a paragraph, which was amazing, because he didn't like writing. And he goes, Mum, I've got some more to write. He wrote another one. But do you know what? He wrote a whole page. He goes, Mum, I'm going to write some more. I said, steady, Eddie. Don't need to go overboard. <laughs> so then he turned the page over and he wrote another paragraph, the paragraph the other side. And I went, that's amazing. He actually wrote a page and a half. And he handed it into the teacher. And the teacher said, that was brilliant. How did he do that? Because he doesn't write anything in my lessons. You know, he just writes, and then, and then, and we got the connective key ring out, put a few different ones in, and he started to be able to write essays. But what was really interesting about him was that he was dyslexic, but he was good at maths. So he worked out how to pass his 
English GCSE, mathematically, I would say. I see. I've only learned in the last 10 years how many rules and how logical English actually Mm. is, Mm. which is so almost now I've got, I'm a mathematical computer, logic person. So now I've got, my English has gone through the roof over the last few years. I reckon I could pass my SATs now. (laughs) (laughs) My daughter going through her SATs in year six taught me a lot. Yeah, they, I think they do it completely different nowadays it to is. when and, I was um, in school. I was rubbish at the connectives. Mm. I used to write stories and it was and next and then. Or and my mum was a teacher. She always would sit there and go, you can't start every sentence with this. But she never gave me that kind of key ring. Mm. So I used to struggle with mm. how else do I start it? And I had no idea. I only learned a few years about rearranging sentences. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it was just all this stuff. Yeah. And, now, and now I sit there and I go, oh, I'm doing that again. Oh, let's rearrange a few sentences. Fixes the problem. I found this thing called the Theosaurus. It was absolutely amazing. You could look the word up that you used all the time and then it gave you alternatives. It was absolutely brilliant. But now it's, is it Shift and F7 on the computer? I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> I say, now it's uh, either... It's like uh, as a podcast, a word came up. I was like, I have no idea what that word is. Let's Google it. Yeah, Google and uh, just put synonym in. It gives a whole raft. It's marvellous, isn't it? But um, that, going back to your brainstorming and mind mapping, I think, um, so Susie has come in with a mind with a uh, brainstorming and mind maps like she's done. Um, I don't do that, but I do think it floats around in my head until it forms Nord with me. But there is lots of um, software out there for free, which you can do this on the computer. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you start with a mind map and your early days of how do I mind map, mm-hmm. you won't really learn. So what's great about doing it on the software is it helps you with the layout. It does the layout for you. And there That's is, right. um, I cannot remember his name. He used to talk at Beck called Back to Their Futures. Mm-hmm. And it was about um, people who avoided using tech. And actually, there's so many amazing things out there. And one of them that he shared was a visual um, theosaurus. Wow. So when you're on one word, it does like the map and linking to lots of different words. Yeah. So it's a really good way of changing, finding connectives and finding different ways of saying something in different ways. So sometimes words have multiple meanings, depending on the context. It will go, well, are you meaning this? Are you meaning this or this? And you go to that and it will literally just spread out and the mind mapping stuff he showed was brilliant as well i loved it and it was just all these great and they're all a lot of them are free they are i mean literally yesterday i i had to do a mind map for a webinar i'm doing next week and i was looking for free mind mapping and you can just put google mind map and you get a free one it's it's that simple um but that i mean years ago i used inspiration i quite like that and um we used inspiration to mind map Roman uh, Latin words for the Roman house. And there were so many different words and, and my son had to learn Latin and uh, he just couldn't characterise, categorise where everything went. And um, so we did that and then he could see it. But I used words and pictures in all of them in inspiration. You put the words and pictures in. Um, so, yeah, that was... That was really, really good. And I think Pinterest is starts heading into this world because Pinterest, I don't know if you use Pinterest. Oh, it floats into my inbox every day. It, it seems to think that I'm interested at the moment in 3D models of the cell, particularly made out of cake. 
and sweets. That seems to be every day that pops into my inbox. So they obviously know, don't they, that, that you're interested in that sort of thing because they keep throwing it at me. So Pinterest is basically, if you never use Pinterest, it is a great, it's basically pinning pictures you like. Mm-hmm. So if you're after inspiration for making a cake, you can put a plug and you go, oh, I like that picture. And you can just pin pictures as you go to websites yes. and it creates a collection for you. Mm. So when you're doing that story on the forest, you can literally browse through websites and go, oh, I like that picture. Oh, I like that. Then it will create, create baby, a big mass of pictures that all to do with that, which then as you're sitting there trying to look for oh, what happened in the forest, you can look at these pictures as that visual aid mm. to help develop your ideas and well, how would that sound? How would that feel? So there's lots of little things you can do. Um, really, and I think tech makes life easier. But still, there's that level of disconnect. So I think going back to suites in the play, in the classroom, walking around that heart, and all things like that, actually, that by physically doing something, yeah. will always be, I think, the best way of remembering something. Yeah, he just couldn't get the Roman house. So we lived near Pangbourne, and I said to him, let's go down Pangbourne and go and find some woods down there. And there was this gathering of trees. And I said, come in, come in, look at this. And he said, it's a load of trees, Mum. I said, yes, but it's the Roman house. I said, look, there's a vestibulum. There's the there's the atrium, the biggest room in the Roman house. There's a cubiculum. They're the, you know, they're, they're the bedrooms. There's the hortus, the garden. And we walked through, and, and for some reason it was just segregated into all these things that he needed to know about. And uh, we, we were there for about half an hour. And he goes, Mum, you're just really strange. And I said, well, you know, if it works, it works. And then he had his Latin test the next week. And uh, the teacher said, she called me over, she said, he did really well in that Latin test. I said, oh, well, that's good, because he doesn't normally. And she said, um, what did you do? I said, I went down to Pangbourne by the river and we actually found the Roman house down there in the trees and we walked through it and then he remembered it. She says, cool, that's amazing. She said, that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, we used to do that. But, you know, I couldn't find every single thing in the forest, you know, that related to the Roman house. So what we used to do is he used to get his iPod every week and he used to get his list of um, Latin words he had to learn. And I used to say them on the iPod in, in all these silly voices. And he used to listen to them and they used to make him laugh. And he remembered it. But I, I visited a friend as well up in Coventry. And uh, she said, oh, come round my house. Um, we'll have some dinner. And I said, yeah, yeah, OK. She goes, do you know what, Susie? My son, he can't pass his French test. He's rubbish at it. And he's always in trouble. I said, has he got an iPod? And she said, yes. I said, well, give me a list of French words and I'll, I'll do them on the iPod with some silly voices. Uh, so I did. And I put them on there. She sent me a text message the next day. She said, he did really well in his French. That was brilliant. <laughs> it was. You know, I couldn't go 150 miles to go and <laughs> do another set for him for the next test. But, you know, that was a secret for him. It worked. Wow. I think when you think of in um, a lot of, my daughter's school and a lot of other schools doing like this forestry schools. Mm. So they're going out mm. into the forest mm. and it's about having experience to find that inspiration. Mm. 
So they're going out. And my, I don't. I, I still don't know how they must. Either they prepare it the night before, or one of them does it on the way to school. But we're walking, and, and you can sit there and go, okay. All the teaching assistant and the teacher, they're all here. We're all doing it together. We'll go. And suddenly they're like, this, we always go to. They always go to this magic tree, the magic mm-hmm. tree, and all the kids put their ears against it mm-hmm. and listen for what the tree's telling them, and it's lovely. And you're literally watching mm-hmm. them. And someone says, I think about something about some some fairies need our help, and. Um, and and they walk around the area and they find this one of the teachers have put out some little wooden fairies and they need houses made for them. Quick everyone, let's let's build some houses to look after these fairies. So they have to build these houses into these trees. Um and they and the kids running around it and, and then they take photos of it and then they go write a story. So later on when they're writing that story or discussing it, they've got all these ideas bouncing around their heads because they were doing it in the forest mm. and they're relaxed because oh, they're yeah. outside um you know with nature and going back again 50 years we used to go out on nature walks it all goes full circle always so 50 years ago i used to go out with a headmistress and we used to go for a nature walk on a wednesday afternoon and i remember you know as i walked around the park this morning when as i walked around with the dog I was looking at the trees and I remember the headmistress saying to me, the branches are in Ys. You get the trunk and then it divides into two like a Y if you've ever got to draw a tree. And she said to me one day, I want you to find a plant that you've never seen before that's really interesting. I went, okay, Mrs Jacobson. So I was walking along. I thought, oh, I've seen seen most of these things before. And then I came across this really interesting plant and it was purple and yellow. And I said, Mrs. Jacobson, look at that. Do you want me to pick it for you? She goes, no, Susie, that's deadly nightshade. <laughs> it's, it's poisonous. And I went, oh, okay, I won't pick it. But from there, I remembered it. And I remembered it, you no, know, for the rest of your life, what the deadly nightshade was. Wow. Cool. So we've covered a lot on this. We've covered lots of different ways of doing different things. And I suppose the message is when you're doing something, it's just taking that, how else could we do it? How can we turn this into doing it physically is always going to help that engagement. So a lot of time when you do maths, you're using those multi-link cubes. So you're trying yeah. to visualize the numbers into three plus two. So now you're it's just doing that in lots of different ways. And you could be really imaginative. You can go out and get a shower curtain with a periodic table. You can um, paint a giant hut, but it doesn't have to be that big. But there's lots of things you can do, and it's just taking that step back. And maybe you'll do a lesson and children won't be getting it. So it's like, okay, how can I do this differently next time? How can I change? How can I make it more, use other senses to help that learning? So we've been given some things to share from Susie. Books, uh, recommendations. So there is the Dyslexia Friendly Schools Good Practice Guide. There's the multi-sensory teaching toolkit by somebody called uh, Dr. Susie Nyman. Yeah. Uh, there's the uh, Sensory Support for Dyslexia, which is asked for SEN magazine. There's a YouTube video. There's two YouTube videos. So there's a load of stuff there. Sadly, Susie hasn't provided us with her French and Latin vocabulary audio MP3s to uh, <laughs> support us. So maybe another time. Uh, so big thank you for coming on the show today, Susie. Thank you very much, Dale, for having me. You're welcome. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'll see how much I remember of the harp. I at least remember try before you buy and the T-shaped. 
and the one beginning of the A is the biggest artery in the body. Is that right? Yes. Cool. Learned something. So, so we'll be putting um, all the all the links we mentioned in the show notes, um, um, and you can find the show notes on our website www.thesendcast.com. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe again to our website, www.thesendcast.com. Uh, you can also sign up to our mailing list to keep up to date with all the latest news. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. Or on LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. Uh, we also have a Sendcast group on Facebook, so you can join there. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, let me know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. Um, and if you enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send conference? This is a conference that, like the Sendcast, is run by us here at B-Squared, but it covers all aspects of SEND. Uh, what makes this conference different to other conferences is that you access it across the internet. The conference runs twice a year in March, November, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you with each session having something you can take away. You can buy tickets for future events or past events. The videos are always available. And the cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, not per person. As a listener to Sendcast, we are giving you a 10% discount just by using the code SENDCAST10. If you are a parent um, and want to get uh, support and advice around uh, SEND as well, we have also launched Parent Talks. A great way of accessing support and the tickets for schools is 60 pounds but for the parent events they're only 10 pounds so really good value for money um, and to find out information about the conferences for schools you can go to www.virtualsendconference.com and if you are looking for the parent talks it's www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents so thank you for listening We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.